Heavenly Father, let us behold your Son, so we might see him in your word and be transformed. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. I very respectfully tender my resignation of my commission as an officer of the Army. Penned by a U.S. Captain, April 11, 1854. This man was 33 years old, and he hit a low point after spending 15 years in the military, a West Point grad. He was a thousand miles away from his wife and his two young boys. And he was depressed. He was in this northern California outpost reading it. And he started drinking. His commanding officer found him drunk and gave him options. Either you can resign or be court-martialed. And so he tendered his resignation. And in his diary, in his journals, he was paralyzed by fear. How was he going to provide for his family? He'd never done civilian life. There was scorn of him coming home. He had debts to pay. In fact, in his travels home, he had no money. He found a friend by happenstance and had to ask this friend from West Point for money for his addiction. The man, Ulysses S. Grant, the future commander of the Union Army and future president of the United States. How could this man be the one to lead such a successful mission? How is it possible? Well, today we're going to see a picture of seven men where we're going to wonder the same thing. How could these seven men along with their friends, be the leader of an overwhelming mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ and spread it throughout the world, especially on how they act as Christians. Let's find out together, shall we? John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Let's pay attention as we look at God's word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, that is, Peter and Tiberius. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others, two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, stood on the shore. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord who said, 
on the guard by him for he pushed the boat and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, grabbing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the boat, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave thanks, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was delivered to them. The gospel of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of John this winter and carrying through the spring. And we have seen Jesus do some amazing things. He's broken cultural barriers. He's come and spoken to a Samaritan woman. And she has gone out and brought many to hear from Jesus and his teachings. He's challenged the authorities of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's talked about who he was, about claims on himself, in the light of the world, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I am equating himself with God. And he's done miracles. He's healed people, blind people, the lame, have walked. He's even risen Lazarus from the dead. And he's also seen a few hundred of us. And we've been just reading this for three months and going through it as a church and reading through this and hearing the sermons. But these disciples, they live with these memories. Three years, first-hand accounts, seeing these things happen before their eyes. Jesus is entrusted this message to them, the good news, the gospel, to spread it to the world. He's invested time and energy and been with them and taught them. And we've seen it all now without amazing Well, are they? Where are they now? After three years of witnessing this all, being a part of it, seeing the resurrection twice, seeing Jesus resurrected and worshiped twice, now where are they? Well, they're back where they started. They went back to Calvary, their home. And they're doing the same thing they did before they met Jesus, fishing. Now, now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with fishing. And everyone's got to eat. So you know they've got to go get food. But I find it intriguing that if you read all the book of Acts, which is the missions of the church, there's nothing about fishing. There seems to be a disconnect. Of where do we go? We've seen all this stuff, we've witnessed it, we've seen Jesus' power, but what do we do now? back to what we know. Fishing. But I don't think this is very far off from many questions millennials have. 
You are significant. You can change the world. You are special. Go out there and do it. You have something to offer. And then your first job out of college is making money. It's sitting at a desk and sending emails. It's changing diapers. It's waking up in the middle of the night. Your kid is crying. It's punching the clock. There's just be some disconnect there. I can change the world, but this is what I'm doing right now. <coughs> this is what I'm doing. Go back to the disconnect experience. You can imagine a West Point grad who did amazing things in a battle down in Mexico. Now he's in this remote place in Northern California where there's really no one around. He's guarding his outpost and no one comes and sees him. Disciples are the same way. What are we supposed to do now? We've seen all these things. The mission has been accomplished, but what are we supposed to do now? So I think this passage is it didn't start with an empire. It didn't start with gathering venture capital. It didn't start with a five-year business plan on some policy paper. It started with mission. Can it start with your first job? Waking up in the middle of the night with a baby? Can God actually transform you into the person you are? The Lord shows through this passage that God can show. Just you know the mission and work that he will model. You know the first step of mission? Just know him right now. Know who you are. What do you have inside? You know, you listen to this grant. He went home to his father's house, you know, for the first and lived with them. And he built a house on their property. He took his dad's job of tanning. He loved his wife. He loved his family. And he started going to Next step in Admitting in your heart. So here what happened? They've been fished all night, right? All night they've been fishing, and then comes the peanut gallery, right? If you're a fisherman, you know this story, you know, where you've been fishing and then the speedboat pulls by or the dogger is dogging by to provide a spear or you're uh, someone with a stroller is coming by, and what's the question they always ask? Did you catch anything? And here's the same guy, you know, away from shore. And they couldn't recognize at that point in time. Maybe it was the sun's just coming up, far away, whatever it might be, asking this question. Have you caught it? 
I remember growing up, uh, we went to Lake Michigan to do some fishing, and uh, my dad took the whole family, and my brother and sister caught these very large rainbow trout, and I didn't catch them. And uh, we went back home to a friend's place, and there was a pool we were fishing, and a friend opened the pool and found some fish, and he knew these people, and he says, yeah, you were George. Oh. None. I didn't catch it. Now, yeah, that's hard for Christian to say, I caught none. But what did the Nazareth What did Jesus say in the beginning? Follow me, and I will make you what? years later, after the resurrection, where are they in making men? The mission that he called them to, what are they doing? They're fishing. Have you caught anything? Are you doing anything? No. on that shore asking you to fish? Hey, lad. How's it going? How's your New Year's resolution going? How are those goals of life that you said you were going to accomplish? How's that working on your anger? How's that peace at work? How's that love of your spouse? I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jesus comes, it's in the light. It's the break of day. John uses this picture of light throughout the gospel, and even uses it later in his epistles. He says this in 1 John, We say we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship in the blood of Jesus The light is coming upon these people. Jesus is calling upon them and saying, have you caught anything? And here in their answer, they know heart is right day and day. That's encouraging. Read all the Gospels. Do you see them catch any fish without Jesus? None. Josh and I, uh, we love to learn from others. Kinko has a really great little book on, you know, self-forgiveness. One of the major points that he makes in it is that um, our culture says, we just need more self-esteem. That's what our culture says. If you just believe in yourself more, if you just love yourself more, you'll that's the solution to our problem. You know, 
they interviewed death row inmates. And then you know what they found? They have a high blood pressure. They have high self-esteem. See, I don't think the solution is the Instead, it's a realistic view of ourselves and our finances. See, when we can finally look at ourselves right and say, we've fallen short. No, we don't live the way we should. Then when we look at our failure, we realistically look at ourselves, when the question is asked, have you caught any fish? We don't have to lie. We can say, we have Because the failure is then realistic solution by I wonder, is anyone asking those questions? I thank God for the guys in the that can actually just kind of be very And I can just tell them, and they ask me, how's it going? This week I was very honest. I, I don't feel like I've slept in two weeks. I felt like many goals that I had put out for mission in this church and things had not always been realistic. And I can be honest with you, because this is The good news about my community group is this doesn't stop. It doesn't stop in my existential See, the disciples aren't left there. They know the stuff mission. They realize where they are. They admit their catch. But then they are transformed by God. Funny, they actually listen to the guy in the ship. They say, well, he says, pass on the other side, can't hurt. And they do. And then there's so much that they can actually call it in. And then John realizes. He realizes it's, it's the Lord. It's Jesus throughout the whole gospel. This is what John has been trying to do, right? Through signs and through miracles that you would see that it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gives life. And here is another revelation of the glory of Jesus. In what? Fish. See, the resurrection of Jesus translates into You know, many people say this passage is just a retelling of Luke chapter 5. If you read Luke 5, it's a very, very similar thing. You know, there's fish, there's a huge catch, it's hard to stay in the boat, it's a miracle, and all these things. It's just the same story. John just kills it and moves it. <coughs> well, if you read it, there's two key things here that make you see that it's a whole different story. And it's nice. You know what Peter does when Jesus in Luke chapter 5 
know what fear does? What does he say to Jesus? Depart from me. I am a sinful man, the Lord. And what does Peter do now? It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was fit for work, and threw himself into the sea. He didn't even wait. Here he is in his, probably just boxers, fishing, you know. See, I bet you like those too. He puts on his tunic and probably doesn't do well for swimming. And he jumps out and swims two legs to the pool. You know, that's 100 yards. That's a good distance. What is Peter's reaction? You know, this Jesus thing, it's probably just, I need this in my life. No. He says, I need you, Here's a guy that just had denied Jesus three times. If anything, this is the time he should be saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man. No, see, Peter has been transformed by Jesus. And he says, I am a sinner. I am a wretch. But still, you give me grace and give me all this fish. I am jumping in this water, and I am coming after. I had a friend down in Florida who started a church movement called Go Forward. They meet weekly at motels. You know those pay uh, by day motels, the monthly motels? Just down the south, there's more outdoor motels. Not the best hotels. Drug addicts, prostitutes. And every week, he does a barbecue right there in the middle of the parking lot. And all these people come to eat. And he is transformed by them. Drug addicts have been changed. Prostitutes have come off the street. And their mantra is, Jesus has better than any kind of guilt in his He has this quote. jumped out of that boat because a guy said, I have some fishing taxes for you. I can help you in your life. No, he jumped out of that boat because he realized this was the one that made him an orphan into a son. This is one that radically changed his life. He was nothing. But now, he was a son of that makes him what a sinner is. 
That makes him want to go to the ends of the earth. That makes him want to give his very life for the mission of God. Do you believe that Jesus just wanted to fix you? He came to preach for the gospel of the world. That makes you want to do more than swim maybe a hundred yards. The grace that can overpower you and send you out to do what you want. You know that man that gave Ulysses S. Grant that money that colleague from West Point? He was also the general at Fort Donaldson in the Confederacy. And Ulysses S. Grant took those lives. And here, Grant and Simon Butler were in conversation with his colleagues as Grant had just taken the fort. And he pulled Buckner aside. And he said, I owe you. How can I help you? This man that you just this man that you just took all these men, the man you just won a battle against, how can I help you? I think Grant was a man transformed by to have that conversation. You know, I, this week, um, I had to have a hard conversation at private. And in my private spirit, I don't want to admit I'm wrong. But, you know, Jesus says, I've transformed you and changed you. You can do that. Even if you're still in sin, you're still godly now. So I went and had a conversation with him. And I was still wounded by my mission not happening, not doing the things I really think I should be doing or should call to do. And I finally just gave an answer, but Lord, I don't know what I I don't know what to do. And I went and had this conversation with this, this gentleman. And I said, I'm here to serve you. Do as you will. I was hurt by what you said to me in the car. I will serve you in the world. And this guy, he said to me, he's perplexed by this, the word service that you use. He says, you know, there's something about you. He says, I want to know what hurt you. I want to know And then when I gave that up to him, he said, Daniel, I will show you. I will provide a covenant as a man. You know, another major difference in this passage between 
that in Luke 5, Jesus is in the boat. And then in John 21, he's outside of it. He's on the shore. And I think this shows a little bit of symbolism here. That Jesus was going to be with them physically in his immediate ministry for three years. And then he was showing, I am going to be gone. I'm going to be apart from you. But I will still abide. But there will come a day where you will pull ashore, past Jordan's stormy banks, and you will come and I will have a banquet for you. I will have a meal for you. And it will be sustenance that in your hard mission, you will know that you can come to me. I know the stories of people in this you are weary children. You have agonized over friends, neighbors, family members. You have prayed for them. You have served them. You have loved them. You tried so hard to make them come to you. I want you to know this passage is his response. There will come a day where you will come to me. And Jesus will have a banquet for you. And you will nourish him. And you will nourish his table one day again. And you will have rest in him. I am thoroughly convinced that the two leading figures of the Union during the Civil War, realized their position, admitted their failure, and trusted in the grace of God. And it was that that caused them to go through the bloodiest part of American history and go to this mission to unite the country in defense of They trusted in a good king. In fact, Ulysses S. Grant, not the greatest orator, gave his most profound speech in the commemoration of Abraham Lincoln's death. And in his speech, he echoed his own heart. And this is what he said about it. His faith in an all-wise providence directing our arms to this final result is the faith of a Christian and his Redeemer Jesus. What caused this man, Ulysses S. Grant, to go forward in the midst of people dying in struggle and pain in the same year Abraham the trust of the providence That is what happened to these disciples. Some of you, this is a great mission statement, right? Great symbolism. It gives people off the hook. These are great symbols. 
about 153 fish. He didn't write about Peter being in his grief and then sitting on his tomb. He wouldn't write about Jesus and go, Peter going back to the boat and taking the fish and throwing it out of the boat. See, it doesn't move the plot along. That's just not the way he wrote them. Why do they include these things? Because it happened. This was an eyewitness account. John saw these things happen. What motivated these men to give their lives to the point of death was because it was true. The one they followed died and rose from the dead. Emmaus wrote, 
you're at a shoe store, whether you're at Bob Park, whether you're at Lawrence University, whether you are at Oshkosh, let's together admit we need the Lord and to be spurred on by him. That we would go forth and we would preach the gospel, being nourished by him, being transformed by him, knowing no matter what happens, we know that our Savior lives. This is good news. For now, what shall we do? Let us be here. Let us come to the table, whether you are weary, whether you are sick, whether you are poor, wherever you are, you can come and be with him. He has made a people. And let that sustain you as a father. Encourage you, you trust in Jesus. This is a table for you. This has been for Presbyterians or Maestral people, these are for people that trust in Jesus Christ. You take the elements when we turn back to the east, this side comes over to this side, this side over on this side. We take the elements and then we turn back. The kids aren't taking communion yet, but that's okay for them. There's white grape juice on the outside and red wine in the middle. There's blue and grapefruit here too. If you're not there, somebody's saying, I'm still wrestling with this about Jesus. You. There's some prayers over here, some things to meditate on. We can, we can talk with any of us. We'd love to be able to, to uh, share Jesus with you. There's a little call and response that we share on here. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, our Lord Jesus Christ established an eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation, that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken of God. This table comes to the throne of God, which promises to lift up all the even to the end of the world. In the breaking of bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us with the nourishment. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine, in whom you must abide as we are to bear fruit. We come to this table, believing that the bread and cup, flesh, and foretaste of the feast of Christ. And we really look forward to that day when we see Christ's glory. 